Welcome to session three of the Happy Manifesto podcast. I'm delighted to have Chris McQueen as our interviewee today. Chris is on our Level 7 Senior Leaders Programme, or as I like to call it, the Happy MBA. And we'll hear from him in a moment. But Maureen, what has created joy for you at work? What's created joy for me is actually being able to get into the office. You know, working from home has been a delight, but I've come in and I've seen my happy family. You know, it's fantastic because normally they're just on the screen on our zoom meetings but to actually see them it's a totally different energy you know it is isn't it it is it is is. so i miss it one thing i must say is i'm actually really grateful that i know that i have the choice to either work from home but the opportunity also to come into the office and just seeing them and being able to give hugs Ah, oh hugs (laughs) I'm missing the hugs. That's one of the things that we're really well known for at Happy is about the hugging, you know. So, uh, so Henry, what's giving you joy? What's giving me? Well, I, um, I, I've almost finished my book. Oh wow! The Great Enjoy at Work Nickables: Five Hundred One Ideas for How to Create a Happy Workplace. Oh, I love that. And your happy tip? My happy tip. So I was thinking about this happy tip and. Um, um, for those who do not know, I facilitate apprenticeships. And actually here at Happy, we have lots of meetings. We talk about meetings a lot. And one of the things I thought was a great share, great tip would be knowing to start your meetings positively. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know, have you ever been, so Henry, have you ever been to meetings where it feels really hard or heavy? You know, when people are just focusing on what's going wrong? <laughs> Oh, we do. We tend not to do that at Happy, though. We tend- and, and no, and hence why, because we start our meetings positively. So, and it can be really simple, just asking people, like, what's gone well for you? What are you looking forward to? And that changes the energy. You know, they do. They also do that at Lego. Really? Yeah, apparently at Lego, they start every meeting with something positive. See, so everybody needs to get on board. Share with us what happens, you know. How Absolutely, are, yes. What's tell the us, difference? Tell us how it goes. Yes. So uh, my my idea for a happy workplace is we are um, from last year, we decided I used to decide the salary pool myself, right, as the founder of the company. I would decide what was in the salary pool, you know, how much everybody would get. But last year and this year, we are generating it from our staff. So the staff decide how much is in that salary pot. Um, and I think that's fabulous because some when when you discuss it, people say, but when they just make it huge but actually no because our people you know understand the finances they understand what's involved in that and actually they tend to do about the same as i did but it what it what it means is it is shared uh, entirely and involves everybody you know how best a way to be open and transparent about how well the organization is doing in terms of finances and then getting everybody to have their input in terms of how much their salary would be but a question i have for you henry about that how does it feel no longer making that decision, you know, actually letting go of that decision? Because that's quite a big decision it, to it, give. It, it, it is a bit nervous. It is a bit, you know, um, because there is that idea that maybe people will just, you know, put 500,000 or something. But but they don't. They, they don't. Um, and that's what happens when you have a work, workforce that is fully involved in the decisions of the organisation. Yes, yes. And I can vouch for that. I mean, I haven't put down a 500,000 extra. 
<laughs> but it, it is because everyone is bought in and they care about the organization and we all want to prosper together. So it's a great idea. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to Chris McQueen. Today I'm interviewing one of our clients, Chris McQueen from the Stroke Association, who is on our level seven senior leaders, what I like to call the happy MBA. So, Chris, tell me, what ideas have you been putting into practice? Well, I think the the big one that stands out for us is when we came to do our corporate strategy and uh, we handed over probably one of the most important parts of the strategy to the organization to develop. Um, Essentially, that meant inviting people from across the organization to put themselves forward to be part of a small team that would develop the strategic principles that are the kind of bedrock of our strategy. So uh, this required the courage from our executive team to to sort of hand this part of it over. And wow, I bet, because you've got you're normally quite a hierarchical organisation, is that right? Yes, that, that was very much our tradition um, and strategy seen as a top-down sort of process. So we had a good response. We had about uh, four times oversubscribed. We had wow. 12, 12 places on the team and um, the people we'd selected were were people with good networks, people who within the organization had 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 sort of good networks with with peers. And um, yeah, they started out as this group of diverse, not very experienced people, all kinds of different <laughs> roles, administrators, fundraisers, coordinators. And um, over a period of about 11 weeks, they were supported through a process of of visiting other organizations to see how they did things. Wrestling oh, wow. with some of the big questions that we were facing as a charity, um, they visited um, volunteer organisations in the Netherlands uh, to see very oh. different models of how organisations could work. And meantime, the whole organisation was kind of channeling thoughts and ideas about what our priorities, what our principles should be, through Yammer and and other channels. And this little group was sort of engaging in conversation with people all across the organization. Um, Our sort of Yammer traffic doubled during (laughs) this period. There's a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. And um, then at the the end of 11 weeks, this group had to present the the principles they'd come up with to the board of directors and our executive team. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was amazed at the transformation from this disparate group of, of inexperienced people to this what emerged was this highly cohesive articulate confident group who presented this these really well thought through principles and were able to defend them and sell them to the organization and those principles five strategic principles have have stood the test of time for us they you know we're using them all the time to really guide the decisions we make about what kind of organization we want to be and how do we want to work so the product was really good, but I was also amazed at the kind of transformation that having trusted this group and, and the group had received high quality support, they'd been coached, they'd been right. supported uh, to capture the insights that they were having and then to sort of consolidate that into a set of five principles. But it really demonstrated for me that the potential, the latent potential in groups when they're well supported and trusted to produce great things. And did, what, did they work full time for those eleven weeks, or were they also doing their their day job? Yeah, that was was an important factor because there was quite a big time commitment in this. 
So <laughs> what we tried to do was sort of allow them uh, to, to offload some of their responsibilities to others and to have others okay. covering for them. It was still highly intensive. And I think that period of time was about the limit of what you could expect someone to, <laughs> yeah. to do. Um, they were working long hours, but there was also a, a tremendous energy um, with <laughs> as well. And have they gone on to do other stuff uh, in the, within the organization? I think we've seen a number of them rise up the the, the organization into into more senior roles. Quite a number of them have have chosen to move on, and I think, in a sense, that's also a signal of how they've grown in, <laughs> in confidence and capability. And you usually, how, how long ago was it that this happened? This happened in 2018. And you're still using these, these five strategic We're ideas? Absolutely, using these principles. And actually, the further we make our cultural sort of journey, um, the more relevant these principles become. And I <laughs> think, in a sense, they were a bit ahead of their time in the organization. One of them, for example, talks about unleashing potential and is all about you know, how you can trust people and give them autonomy and, and they can rise to the challenge. And, and, and mm -hmm. we're starting to see the fruit of, of some of those ways of working even if it was a bit sort of visionary at the time to be talking. Oh, tell us more about that. So how have, you, how have you seen the fruits of that? Yeah, so when we set up project teams, trying to be clear about the fact that they have the right to make decisions and trying to help them clarify those decision rights so that they know what decisions they can take and, and decisions they should be seeking advice about. And we're trying to purposefully give those teams a greater level of autonomy it's a learning process but i mm -hmm. think um yeah i think we're seeing some encouraging results we're, we're just introducing this thing called the advice process because i think we were finding that um it was all very well talking about trust and empowerment but people would say uh, some people would start to make decisions that would that would tread on other people's toes or or, okay. or, or be going too far other people were reluctant to make decisions because they were looking for for someone higher up to to decide for them and there was some confusion about you know what am i entitled to decide how do we make decisions well so in you know, learning from other organizations and from this happy mba um we've recently introduced the advice process along with a sort of decision rights tool which is just a table for documenting the kinds of decisions we anticipate we'll need to make in this team, who should be the decision maker, and what kind of approach to making decisions should we take. The small stuff, the detailed stuff, people can just get on and, and decide. But where there's an impact on others or whether there are others who have expertise, then we should use the advice process to, to seek advice. So it, it works like this. Basically, Within those boundaries of the decision rights, anybody can make any decision provided they first seek the advice of anyone who will be impacted by that decision, and secondly, by those who have expertise in the matter. So this process you know, of seeking advice, they're not forced to take the advice, but they do need right. to consider it and then integrate that into their proposal before they make the decision. And then we're encouraging a kind of closing of the loop so that when the decision is made, you report back to those you've sought advice from to say, this is, thank you for your advice. This is 
you know, what I've decided and why. And can you give an example of, of when a case where this has happened? We've got a project that is um, focusing on how we can increase the numbers of newly diagnosed stroke survivors that we are able to reach and offer some support to. And uh, it's, it's clear there that to implement positive changes to allow us to make contact with more people who've, who've recently had a stroke, there's going to need to be a lot of contact with hospitals. We can have to intercept referral pathways. And, and so the, the people in our organization who are responsible for that are distributed around the country in our, in our 10 localities. So before the sort of central team decides whether something is viable uh, as, as, a, as an approach for in, sort of increasing the number of people we can reach, we need to seek the advice of those in our various localities mm-hmm. to say, what do you think about this? We're proposing this uh, way of intercepting the referral mechanism, or we're proposing to set up this arrangement in hospitals so that people would have a greater awareness of us. Would that work in your locality? And because those locality teams, will, they have the best knowledge of, of the situation on the ground, but also they're going to be affected if we if we implement these approaches, they're the ones going to have to carry them out. So it's really important that we're kind of seeking the advice of these uh, key people across the organization. And you're talking here about frontline staff, not managers. Is that right? I think it's a combination. Yes, frontline staff who who will be sort of engaging directly with hospitals, but also people who whose role is to influence so that decision makers within the health and care system can be influenced to to support us in this endeavor to make sure more people get the support they need. Sounds good one. And um, any more, any more uh, things you've done to create happy workplaces? Uh, We've been really trying to implement these things called liberating structures in our Uh, meetings. They're little tools and practices you can apply in a meeting, which help to give everybody a voice. And some of them really help you to come at a problem from a different angle so that you can generate new ideas, but they're very inclusive in that they make sure that everybody's voice is heard. And, um, you know, it was through the the HAPPY program that we became aware of these. And uh, a few of our the people in the organization have now attended uh, Liberating Structure uh-huh. courses. And we're seeing them now much more commonplace within our meetings. Something called one, two, four, all is a very quick way to get people thinking about a question or an idea in a very short space of time, get them warmed up, sharing perspectives, thinking individually, sharing with a with a, with a partner, and then opening up to a group of four before sharing back to everybody. So little tools, very quick, uh, very easy to implement, but they give a lot of life to 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 a meeting. Yeah, it it absolutely involves everybody, doesn't it? It's that, that's the yeah, great thing about it. It does. And um, you've got an, an, an idea on coaching, not managing. Haven't you? That's right. We've we're very much, particularly with these frontline staff, we're focusing on coaching rather than managing. So helping ask good questions that that help the the person or the team to retain ownership of their work and and of the issues they're facing. I think it's so easy for someone unintentionally to step in with advice and all of a mm-hmm. sudden the ownership has gone has, has yeah. come back to them the person or the team are now looking to them for the solution 
rather than benefiting from working at the solution out for themselves, which may well be a better solution anyway. And again, have you got an example of that? I guess the day-to-day ones are within the um, the delivery of our frontline services. So if, if people have issues that they're facing with a particular uh, client, questions about what we may or may not be able to offer them, those kinds of, of, of questions. I think we're encouraging the coaches to connect those people with other people who might have the answer or else help them work through what might be an appropriate response for themselves. So in the past, would that have been a manager telling people, this is what you should do with this client and, and now it's now it's Very a coach much. supporting them? Yeah. In the past, it would have been coordinators simply passing it back to the manager and waiting for the answer and then implementing the answer. But our managers would became overwhelmed with just you know, answering these kinds of things. And, you know, we felt that our coordinators had a lot of potential, you know, they have a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience and capability to come up with good solutions for themselves, but were never really encouraged or rarely encouraged to do so in the old system. Uh And so what, how are those people finding it now then? There's a mixture. I think some are flourishing in this environment some are questioning some i think appreciated the comfort of just being able to pass things back <laughs> and it, in a sense it, for it to be someone else's problem so we're just having to work through those things we, with our coaches there's a lot of unlearning to do as well because some of our coaches mm-hmm. were former managers they derive value from providing the answer and so it's very easy for them to step into a manager role there so we're, we're working it through, and I think the key thing is that we're we're having conversations where the coaches themselves are working together within a kind of peer support group. We're trying to to work in an open fashion where the issues, the, the challenges that we're seeing, can mm-hmm. be surfaced, and we can talk about how best to resolve them. And 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 groups that are seeing some progress and 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 seeing some exciting results are able to share what they're doing with with others. I'm quite impressed by all that you've, you've done there. So you, the Trunk Association is actually quite a large organisation, isn't it? How many people is it employed? Yes, up somewhere near 700, probably two-thirds of those being these frontline stroke delivery coordinators. So um, so you've managed to have quite an impact there? I think, think? so. I mean, it's, it's obviously been a process we've been on for some time. Yeah. I think the Happy MBA has given an, a real impetus to it because there's been an opportunity to to learn from experienced practitioners and, and speak directly with them, learn from peers. Um, each month we have a workshop where we're sort of um, we're, we're covering a particular aspect of, of happy workplaces and, and we're able to then apply that learning into the organization. So I've, I've found the sort of being on this course is sort of driving me a bit to <laughs> to, to experiment and to engage with people who are showing an interest and say, why don't we try this? Recently, for example, we were thinking, how can we help teams to, if we want them to be a bit more autonomous, how can we help them to manage or monitor their performance a little bit more effectively? So we'd we'd heard a talk from, from a lady called Helen Sanderson, who has implemented yeah. uh, a number of practices in the teams in her organization. And we reached out to her and, and we're doing a small piece of work where on a small scale, just with two teams, we're learning these practices, things, things called confirmation practices. And uh, we're trying it out 
on a small scale first. Um, okay, t- tell us about confirmation practices. Do you have a com- do you have one yourself? I do. I, I I'm I'm my team is one of the two teams that are are trying this. Essentially, we're starting by thinking about our roles as individuals. So there's an individual confirmation practice process, and it starts by saying what 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 roles do I perform in in my job, and what. What do I think good looks like? If I was performing that role to a high standard, what would I be doing and and how would I know that that I was doing that role well? What how would I know that I, I could be playing? And, and that's something they define themselves rather than asking a manager or a peer to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's something you develop yourself. Our, our established practice tends to focus more on on objectives. And so looking at roles is an interestingly different perspective that I've found quite a lot of value. And it's <clears> helping <throat> identify some of those things that are on the important but not urgent list. Yeah. Sometimes get crowded out by a focus just on objectives. And the objectives tend to draw your, your focus. Yeah. On how do I deliver this? How do I deliver this? And not how do I develop these long-term things that, that, that probably just as important for the organization but, uh, and do you have a confirmatory statement yourself? What I've got, I suppose, is a is a set of um, six roles right. with, a, with an understanding of what good looks like. So, so strategy facilitator. I'm 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 trying to encourage project teams to think strategically about what they're doing and to facilitate, help them see how what they're doing can sort of contribute to our purpose. I'm I'm a culture champion, so I'm all this happy stuff. I'm I'm really trying to promote and role model and and champion this shift of our culture. And you have a definition of what what goes at what level on on each of those, do you? Yeah. So I, I firstly for each of these roles, I say why? What's the purpose? Why why yeah. why am I doing this role? What does good look like? And then how would I know? What would I measure? And what does good look like in culture champion? So. Culture champion is where I am. I, I'm engaged broadly across the organization with people to help them understand different ways of doing things culturally, behaviorally, yeah. and where I'm seeing evidence that that these ideas are taking root in the organization, that people are starting to implement um, these things for themselves. So uh, I'm measuring myself on am I am I engaging sufficiently broadly and with the right with a mix of people and then are those engagements leading to any evidence of change okay of, of people right. picking stuff up or of people able to to move forward in what they're trying to do and how is that different from objectives the objective system as we currently have it would say by the end of the year i'd like to have achieved this kind of change in in this in the space of culture and then Perhaps on a quarterly process, I'll check in on that and and see how how whether I think I'm progressing. To be honest, I don't think culture often features as a major objective. O- often, <laughs> often the objectives are delivery of this project or yeah, yeah. that. And 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 so um, but the difference with confirmation practices is is the heartbeat is more rapid. So every couple of weeks. I'm looking through my roles and saying, which of these is the am, am I least happy about? If I was mm-hmm. to sort of measure myself, what score would I give myself on each of these six roles? And 
for the lowest one or the one that's causing me most concern, what might be one thing in the next two weeks that I could do to, right. to try and move that score up so I'm happier with the role I'm playing? So it's, it's continuous and I do it with a peer. So a peer is there asking me questions. Chris, you know, what have you scored yourself on your roles and which, which is the one that's giving you most concern? And that's a peer rather than a manager. It's a peer. Right. And that's another big difference. So <laughs> we've been trying this in teams. And, and actually, what it's revealed, I think, is not only is it strengthening our relationships within teams, but some of my colleagues who are doing this are saying, we're learning. We thought we were okay in this. And actually, this process is surfacing issues that need to be attended to that, that our previous process wasn't. So oh, really, we're learning new, new things about how we can be improving the roles we play and, and, you know, the effectiveness of them. So I think it's, yeah, it, it, it's asking questions in a different way with a peer on a more rapid frequency and it's self, you know, it's me assessing <laughs> myself. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. That sounds some great ideas. So, so my, my last point is what are your three tips? for workplace happiness? It's a bit obvious, but I don't think you can achieve workplace happiness without a sort of culture of trust where mm -hmm. fundamentally you're, you're, you're believing the best in people. You're believing that people fundamentally want to do a good job and that they're capable of rising to the challenge when trusted and supported. So I think whether yeah. it's policies, processes, things that demonstrate trust. Secondly, though, I think you have to have clear boundaries people need to know the space in which they can innovate yeah. and create and make decisions so i think that kind of clarity of decision rights boundaries guidelines what's expected of them the third one i i, I think is about encouragement I, I i think there's tremendous power in encouraging people when you see something they're doing that is that is good that is um valuable particularly in the moment. But I, I, I think you need to have a culture that is really focusing on, 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 on what's happening that's good. I think that's, that's a very powerful way, actually, to improve people's confidence, motivation, and, and performance. And, and the culture in which you can try things and it's not, uh, you're not afraid if they, if they don't work out. So trying to get away from this culture of fear mm -hmm. uh, and a willingness to try things recognizing that they won't all work, but that's fine. We, we, we learn and move on. What I really liked about that, Maureen, was that, that involving the frontline staff in the strategy. So, and that really enables them to take, take leadership, not just in the strategy, but leadership on a wider level. Oh, no, totally. I mean, I know most organizations are that top down you know, and the fact, and I love the words that he used, it's like being courageous, you know, and then seeing the results at the end of the day of that, this changed people's lives, not just for them, but also for the organisation. Because of course, you know, when you're working for the Stroke Association, you do change people's lives. I love it. and But most importantly for me, it was that it wasn't just a tick box exercise. It was about making sure that everyone felt well supported and you used that well supported all the way through. Not only were they supported internally, but externally and given coaching. So all the ingredients for success. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I we I think we'll look at look at them carefully how they how they develop, won't we? Yeah, exciting. You know, imagine I've I've got other organisations took that approach as well. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be fabulous? <laughs> but of course, those involved in the level seven, our happy MBA, they are all doing that. Um, they are all transforming their organisations, and we'll we'll speak to some more of them in the coming weeks. Totally. That's it. You know, organisations can transform and create that joy at work. And and that is what it's all about, isn't it? Creating joy at work. Yes. And listen, we will see you next time on a podcast speaking to another expert sharing their tips about joy at work.